Well, hello and welcome to the latest in a series of podcasts that the 1989 Generation Initiative is hosting as part of its wider current affairs cycle for 2016-2017, Talking Europe. Talking Europe seeks to bring you the visions and perspectives of young people and experts from across the continent on events as they happen, where they happen. As you well know, our Talking Europe podcasts respond to European current affairs through a range of fun and interesting episodes dealing with an array of different topics, from Brexit to the refugee crisis to the impact of election results across Europe. And today's podcast focuses on arguably the most important topic in Europe today, the victory of Emmanuel Macron in the French presidential elections. I am Michael Katakis, I'm the president of the 1989 Generation Initiative, and with me today are three great participants. We're delighted to welcome Alberto Alemano, Jean Monnet Professor of EU Law at Aschersee in Paris, and author of Lobbying for Change, Find Your Voice to Create a Better Society. We welcome as well Marie-Victoire Corbuccio, who is an LSE alumna and long-time member of the 1989 Generation Initiative, who voted for François Fillon in the election, and Salvatore Berger, part of the 1989 Generation Initiative's content team and a supporter of Emmanuel Macron. In today's podcast, we'll be touching upon the most important aspects of the post-French presidential election fallout, namely what were the factors behind Macron's victory, what a Macron presidency will mean for France and Europe, and what the implications are for France's traditional parties. So jumping straight into it, Alberto, why did Macron win? The the reason why Macron uh, won this uh, electoral uh, campaign is uh, has to do with with several factors that uh, uh, are related to the um, uh, particular state of the politics in in France in this particular moment. And despite uh, the rhetoric uh, that is presenting Macron as the big winner of this election, when you count abstentions and the blank ballots, and of course the old votes cast uh, to to keep her out, uh, you see that only one-fifth of the French electorate is supporting him. So it has certainly been a, a mathematically a victory, uh, but, uh, but I'm not sure that per se this suggests that the political capital of Macron uh, will be enough to uh, actually deliver on the uh, major reforms he's uh, suggesting. To bring, to bring forward. There's another reason which I think is important to mention is the fact that he was the only candidate that he was in the center, that he was occupying the center mm-hmm. at a time which are absolutely unprecedented when it comes to the polarization of the political debate. And at the same time, we also have to remember that uh, one of the frontrunners, probably the frontrunner, uh, Monsieur, uh, Monsieur Fillon, uh, is a candidate that basically lost the, uh, the eligibility uh, in the eyes of most of the electorate for actually being a candidate in, in this election. Yes, I want to bring in Marie-Victoire on that, uh, on that point as well. Um, Fillon was the front-runner uh, in the build-up to the elections. In fact, the, the parties, when he won the Republican nomination, were akin to you know, uh, a celebration of a, of a victory in the presidential elections. What was it, Marie-Victoire, that, uh, that led to Fillon's downfall? Well, I agree with everything that Alberto said. Fillon was the favorite when he won the primary elections. And obviously the scandal was very bad for him. And uh, it was very hard to campaign for his team. And um, because the French were not as convinced as they were before. And also because he won uh, his uh, the primary elections uh, because of his program, but also because um, the right-wing electorate uh, didn't want Sar- Sarkozy anymore. 
and uh, Juppé was considered too centrist. So he was the, the only uh, candidate that could combine the different kind of uh, right-wing electorates. Mm -hmm. And he did his campaign based on morality. And he didn't have the morality anymore. So that was a big, big problem. problem. And also, I think that after the primary election, the French of the center or uh, left wing saw how economically liberal he was. And um, his program was uh, very harsh and it was a, a program of very big reforms. And uh, today the political analysts, say, they say that maybe the French were not yet ready for this. <laughs> But Marie-Victoire, just to press you a little bit, do you think that the Penelope Gate was the uh, the crucial factor uh, that led to this sudden drop in support for Fillon? Was there something else at play? No, no, I think it was the Penelope Gate. Um, so I campaigned for him and I could see it uh, uh, with friends that were very keen on him, that really liked be him before. Uh, they weren't convinced anymore. And also during the campaign, um, there were a lot of internal uh, rival, uh, rivalities in the Républicains. And uh, a part of the Sarkozy and Juppé uh, supports um, didn't do campaign for him. They didn't campaign for him. Right. So I think it, it, the... It, it, he didn't have all the Republicans campaigning for him. And it was very, I think all of the combination of all these elements uh, made him uh, lose. Yeah. Yes, but of course, let's, let's turn now to Macron. He is, of course, the, the victor of this uh, presidential election. And um, Salvatore, you were a supporter of, of Macron. You are a supporter of Macron. Um, there is something charismatic about him. There is something special about him. How can you explain uh, the support that he got uh, over other sort of more centrist or mainstream options in France? Well, it's... Um, hi, Michael. Thank you. Um, it's a mix of factors that led to his victory and that, um, that attracted people. Well, first, his added value was not only that he was a new messenger, but that he had a new message. So in terms of messenger, you had a, obviously a global need for renewal, that he, that he uh, surfed on with his new political movement, En Marche. Um, but then you also had a, a new message of, I would say, radical centrism, which is uh, deeply globally positive uh, and which stood in stark, sorry, in which stood in contrast with um, the more pessimistic message of both the left and the right and the far right. But is is Victor was also due to the failure of some traditional parties in terms, first, of economic performance. Um, if you look at Sarkozy, he was an economic liberal who did not manage to reform the labor market, who didn't want to, really. And you had Hollande after, who was a socialist, conversely, but who did not attempt, who attempted to reform the, the labor market, but with the lack of uh, pedagogy behind it. And both of those parties uh, failed to, to connect to the people. People were more interested in either an optimist or a negative message rather than uh, on the statu quo that was proposed by uh, the socialist parties or Les Républicains. Obviously, you have an element of luck uh, that was mentioned by, by Alberto. He had uh, an avenue in the center because of the different primaries. I'm not going to come back on that. 
And then there is also a method behind it. He had no party, so his victory is impressive by this regards, but he managed to very quick, quickly create local communities to have uh, a very widespread uh, involvement from people who had never taken part in any political activity before. And through that, and a mix of inputs from experts, he managed to, to convince a significant amount of the population. Lastly, I would say that there is also a French um, contradictory spirit behind it. Because if you remember in the 80s, you had Thatcher and Reagan, uh, ultra-liberal in the UK and the US, and France had the socialist president, its first one, François Mitterrand. And nowadays, uh, you have Brexit happening in the UK, you have Trump in the US, uh, deeply anti-globalization signals, and France has elected a, a deeply pro-European, uh, liberal, progressive person with Emmanuel Macron. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to press you on that as well. It's uh, in the first round. If we take just the first round, the second round, he won uh, very easily. Um, of course, many people choosing to back uh, Macron um, in defiance uh, to the rise of Marine Le Pen. Um, but in the first round, uh, you have at least half the electorate voting for options which are not necessarily pro-European. Le Pen certainly isn't. Mélenchon, there's a question mark. Um, so clearly the, there, is a, there is a division within France. And this begs the question, uh, Salvatore, what will a Macron presidency be able to achieve? Um, the legislative elections coming up will be a, a major challenge. Uh, but let's say he manages to get a majority, which is a big, a big if. Uh, what will he be able to do? Well, of course, we can gamble on the outcome of the legislative election. But it's going to be impossible to tell exactly what's going to happen. What we can, what we can say, nonetheless, is uh, what are the challenges that wait for him. Um, domestically, in the short term, is going to be his biggest, his biggest challenge. Um, if I, if I may elaborate on that, um, Macron will have to prove that the left and right uh, can work together. He attempted to do so during the Loi Macron, but it was overridden by Manuel Valls. Mm -hmm. And he has to show that the, the right-left divide is more than a slogan, but that it is also a method. He will have to show that to trade unions, to a uh, precocious insider in the French labor market, that um, the new uh, responsibilities, the new duties that he will uh, give them also come with new rights, such as a universal insurance system that he attempts to uh, put in place, but it is going to be very difficult at this level. And on the right, he will have to prove um, to the conservative that he can be tough against ter terrorism, that he, that he can embody the presidential function, um, and that he can and that he must convince them that um, the solutions are mainly European in terms of immigration, for instance. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, so quite a quite a hefty hefty challenge. Uh, turning now back to Alberto, um, what do you think a Macron presidency will look like? How will the Macron presidency will look like? Exactly. It's obviously too early. Obviously too early to say. Um, when we look at the leadership of Macron today, uh, we still don't know how we will actually interpret the presidential function. Uh, will it be Amitterrand, uh, who was defined a mummy uh, as a president, who was not really sure? 
going up very often. It was in the backstage most of the time. Or would it rather be a Sarkozy style? Somebody who would be daily involved in the micromanagement of the government and of his own political agenda. So now most of the observers suggest that it would probably be in the middle. Um, it would be a Mitterrand-Sarko uh, combine. So there would be policy areas in which it would be heavily involved. There would be other areas in which probably will kind of step back. This is a sort of leadership institutional challenge for him. Many people identify Macron as a technocratic leader, somebody who doesn't really have an incentive to listen to the answer of his citizens because he already knows the answer. He's a technocrat. He's a Ina Enagrain. He's a former banker. He's somebody who withdraws all the solutions from the textbooks. Um, and that's what leads some people to suggest that he might be actually not a political disruptor, but a the ultimate establishment or technocratic leader for, for France. Um, the truth probably would be, again, in, in the middle when it comes to inter this interpretation of the leadership and the institutional challenge ahead. When it comes to the political challenge, uh, which is obviously the priority now, the question is whether the movement he was capable to create in such a short period of time will be turned into into a party machine. And there are signs suggested that uh, this will only happen if we be able to piggyback on this historical centric parties, which is the Modem. And this uh, rapprochement with Bayrou sounds um, extremely sensitive because, of course, uh, while there might be gains from an electoral perspective, because Bayrou and Modem, they are much better connected to the territory, they might also backfire because uh, it might look to the territory, to, to the electorate, that what is actually doing is to repropose or to propose again or to reinvent a centrist, uh, a centrist movement that in reality never managed to succeed despite some successes by Monsieur Barrault in the past. Mm -hmm. There are several people who are in the liberal camp, like Sylvie Goulard, who is also, of course, linked to the modern movement, who seem to be very close in several of the candidates that were presented uh, today. Uh, they seem to come from that, from that camp. And then we also see the socialists converging on, on Macron. And this also, again, might backfire. And this is something that uh, the leaders of uh, uh, Republique Marche know, know very well. They need to make sure uh, to take the distance from certain uh, part of socialists. But some others, like, like Valls, they're clearly pushing to jump on, on board. Uh, so the answer to those desires uh, to jump on the winner bandwagon will be uh, very important for defining so the 34 hour, 35 hours will be kept, but there will be an opt-out for companies. Uh, this is an interesting, uh, very smart move. Uh, and I often say that for things to remain the change, for things to remain the same, things will have to change. This this line comes from the Leo part by Tomasi di Lampedusa, and this probably this line will capture much of the presidency of Monsieur Macron. And very last point when it comes to this presidency, Europe might also represent a challenge, and not only a, a way to gather. Uh, momentum. Europe remains a very controversial topic, despite the fact that like, Macron was capable for the first time to capitalize on European pro-sentiment in order to obtain votes. But already now, after 48 hours of political discussion as a president, we can see that the European leaders who have been celebrating him uh, on Sunday night, they already start uh, drawing red lines uh, by basically saying that his ideas are too big uh, and might not be accommodated in today's European debate when it comes to the fiscal union or when it comes to uh, the future relationship of the EU uh, with the UK and with other countries in relation to trade agreements. Um, so there is a, a clear uh, risk that Europe might not only be 
let's say, a winning point, but might also turn out to be a Trojan horse for his leadership. That's that's very interesting. If if there is some room for reform in in, in Europe, and of course, this is the nineteen eighty nine generation initiative, and we're all about uh, reforming Europe. What are the areas that Macron can make some progress in with his European partners? Well, certainly Macron is the only European leader at the moment who has a vision for Europe. He's, without being a federalist, a fully-fledged federalist, he understands that there are issues that are pan-European in, in nature, like uh, safety, security, and of course, uh, fiscal integration. And he's ready to uh, make, for the first time, um, a step back in relation to the exercise of serenity around those issues. Uh, Germany is not ready uh, for it, but of course, Germany is not set to remain the same. Uh, even the new leader leadership of Angela Merkel should be able to uh, survive the challenge, which seems to be quite promising by Martin Schulz, will probably be another Germany, will probably be a Germany that at some point will, has, will have to give back all what it really benefited and to, taken out of the European project economically of the last few years. And uh, probably Macron is the only leader capable of pressing uh, Germany to think uh, bigger uh, when it comes to the future of the European integration project. And in a way, Brexit might also enable uh, such a conversation because that's possibly the only file in which the 27 member states are speaking with one voice at the moment. Mm -hmm. Now, turning to, to Marie Victoire, of course, the Republicans have suffered a, a devastating defeat at the, at the uh, presidential elections. How will they respond uh, to Macron's presidency and how will they position themselves uh, in the legislative elections coming up? Well, right now, Les Républicains is very divided, and it's divided in three, to be more precise. So uh, the line of Juppé, that is more moderate, and um, Macron compatible, we say in French, so that are uh, open to work with Macron. Then there is the line of Sarkozy, that um, I wouldn't say he's liberal, that is a liberal line, like uh, Salvatore said. Um, maybe more liberal than Juppé, but less than Fillon. And uh, it's a more uh, popular uh, right wing. And then there's the line of Fillon that is more uh, conservative and more economically liberal. And uh, so right now, Macron is trying to seduce uh, some big personalities of the Republicans. So he tried to have uh, Xavier Bertrand as prime minister. Uh, Xavier Bertrand refused uh, yesterday. Um, then he's trying to seduce uh, Nathalie Kosciusko-Morizé. She refused also. Um, and other personalities we don't really know yet. So there's uh, uh, Edouard Philippe that is very... Um, uh, he's from the Juppé uh, line. And also Bruno Le Maire. So I think... Everything is going to be more clear in the next few days. And I think it will determine how uh, Macron will be able to pursue his reforms and uh, if there's going to be or not a recomposition of the right wing. But what about the future of the Republican Party, Marie-Victoire? If, if you had a vision for the Republican Party going forward four or five years up until the next election, what would that be? What does it need to do well, to claw back some of the capital that it had? I think it should be more uh, economically liberal. 
And that's exactly why I voted for Fillon. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen uh, because the Sarkozy camp is taking over and um, Juppé camp might go to En Marche. So, uh, to be honest, I don't really know what's going to happen. It's very, it's not clear at all for, for no one, not even the people in the party. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. But what about the socialists now, Salvatore? Are the socialists finished? Has, Ma- has Macron, has En Marche uh, dealt a, a killer blow to the socialist party in France? Well, it's true that they are taken by friction and factions on both sides of their, their political spectrum. But you have to know that the socialists were in a particularly difficult positions because for the first time no one uh, defended the uh, François Hollande's mandate and François Hollande's uh, record of the, la- of the past five years. And even though you had um, some links to be made between Macron's proposals uh, and Hollande's past policies, the, the person that represented the party during the election, Benoît Hamon, completely denied and disagree with the rec- government's records. So they're trying to save the party right now, but there is no ideological homogeneity whatsoever. But the party was based historically on reconciling factions. So they will have a Congress within the next six months after the presidential elections, but it won't be a Congrès d'Epinay, which happened in, in 71, and which, in which uh, François Mitterrand gathered the different faction of the left, which enabled him to take over the presidency uh, years after. There is a risk of faction, as I say, and it, it has begun now with Ida, uh, the mayor of Paris, Hidalgo, with uh, the former justice minister, Christian Tombira, who have created a new movement, Dès Demain, uh, that might be the new uh, focal point, uh, pivotal point of the Socialist Party. But the thing is, there's not going to be a lot of people following it, because of course, uh, probably a part of the socialist voters will go towards En Marche, uh, those who are the most social reformists, and those who voted Mélenchon, who, were, who voted for Amon, sorry, uh, might be more um, at ease in, um, uh, in joining Mélenchon. At the same time, um, there was a tactical vote, a vote utile, as we say, of socialist voters who were really left-wing towards Mélenchon because he was considered as uh, the person to vote for if you, if you were from, uh, from the left uh, in opposition to Macron, Fillon and Le Pen. So parties don't disappear in France. Uh, there is this political scientist, Alain Duhamel, which recently said that they, they remain because they have vested in, interest in the parties. They have a structure that enables them to survive within uh, different regional or local components. And we have seen that historically with the radicals and maybe with the modem to some extent. So if people live towards Mélenchon and towards Emmanuel Macron on the left and on the right, there will be a better homogeneity. That might be what comes out of the new movement of, uh, of the mayor of Paris. Uh, and then it would be easier to do a synthesis, but they might be fewer than ever. Mm-hmm. And what about the National Front, uh, Alberto? Um, we uh, were celebrating, of course, the defeat of populism in the second round. Uh, the 1989 Generation Initiative is um, running a program called Tackling Populism this year. So populism really is the core uh, of our work. Um, has populism been defeated in France or will it, will it rear its ugly head again in the coming years? 
um, I wouldn't characterize uh, this um, electoral moment as uh, the definitive um, uh, defeat of populists in, in Europe. Far, far from it. Um, I would rather uh, present it as, as a battle that uh, uh, liberal forces uh, managed to win against the, the populist, but we still have to remember that uh, the score that Marine Le Pen made this time is, uh, the, uh, is the equivalent of the double of what, uh, of what her, her father obtained in 2002. So the country remains um, highly divided. Um, we have, uh, and this well beyond the two uh, final uh, contenders, so we have um, many political Political forces today uh, that have around 50% of the political capital of the country that do pursue um, aims that tend to uh, be, uh, let's say, quite anti-system and even uh, constitutionally questionable uh, when examined under the framework of the values that should uh, drive uh, political behavior in, in, in the country. Uh, populist is there, populism is there to stay. Um, populism today has leaders that in the past didn't have. And what is worse is that uh, there, is, uh, there has been a normalization of, of populist sentiment today. Uh, and in a way, uh, Macron could have not won as he did without somehow reaching out uh, to that electorate and somehow to do so had to normalize uh, this uh, this contender uh, whose values and whose behavior is absolutely are absolutely antithetical uh, to to the macron uh, leadership as as presented to to the electoral uh, of course populism is a, a very complicated beast that has different features depending on of the country in which it takes place and paradoxically is the European Union, the European project that has enabled the populist parties across Europe to work together and to speak sometimes with one voice and to become stronger by exchanging notes, uh, sharing best practices, and very often by mobilizing European money, in that particular case, members of the European Parliament funding, in order to actually achieve those objectives, which are absolutely contradictory to what the European Union is about today. Indeed. And uh, Salvatore, looking ahead from, from your perspective, what uh, what will be the future of the battle between populism and liberalism or populism and uh, uh, pro-Europeanism in Europe look like over the course of the next years following this victory? Will, will this victory be a turning point in that battle uh, or are we likely, as Alberto said, to see the continued trends um, across Europe during this time? Well, I agree with Alberto. It's impossible to say that populism was defeated. Um, Macron will still have to demonstrate that he understands French people's critique about the EU, that he can protect those French people, give them jobs, in the end make globalization work for them. But where I disagree is that it remains a tremendous symbol, a, a symbol that is more important than in, in previously uh, European political contest. Because when you think back um, to the Dutch elections, for instance, uh, this year, well, Mark Rutte won uh, over the, the populist uh, leader, uh, Wilders, by changing his rhetoric, by becoming a bit more aggressive on immigration. He published a letter uh, promising to be tougher on the topic. So here, the rhetoric battle was, uh, was less striking than uh, for the French election. And same for Austria. You remember that Alexander von der Bellen won uh, against uh, Norbert uh, Hofer, but the latter had softened his anti-EU stance after realizing that he was not polling that great. So 
in both cases, in the Dutch and Austrian cases, there was not such a, a strong contrast between a candidate that was so deeply European, uh, so uh, eager to make globalization work for everyone, and a protectionist candidate, uh, definitely Eurosceptic. And the contrast was such that the symbol is greater. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I think you're... You're probably right there, Salvatore. Symbolically, it is uh, it is a major major win for Macron. Now, final word for Marie Victoire. Uh, Marie Victoire, what will Macron need to do in his presidency in order to um, fight the populist threat of Marine Le Pen in the future? Because conceivably, in five years, if if he doesn't do very well, there's you know quite a good chance that Le Pen will be even more popular. Yes. Um, well, I think something we should say is that uh, part of the Front National is against going out of the European Union and against going out of the euro. And um, so this is the part of Marion uh, Maréchal Le Pen, the niece of Marine Le Pen, and uh, also the mayor of a city called Béziers, uh, Robert Ménard. And they are pushing Marine Le Pen right now to... Um, to stop with these with these uh, anti-EU ideas, and um, so in that sense, I think we can say that it's a victory for the pro-Europeans. And um, I think Macron will have to be very firm on immigration and uh, identity questions and terrorism. Also. Uh, considerably reform the agricultural um, policies. And uh, if he manages to do all of this, uh, maybe the Front National will have uh, a slower score in the next election. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, it's interesting to think uh, <laughs> the, the opposite trend has been noted by... Uh uh, by Salvatore of uh, mainstream parties adopting rhetoric which uh, populist parties might uh, might more often use. Uh, but here you're suggesting that Marine Le Pen or parts of her party will be um, you know more favorable to staying in the euro over time. I mean, it is a trend actually that was noted throughout the, the election process with Le Pen um, sort of softening her stance on Europe. She started out saying it's a hard exit from the euro, uh, that's what she wants. Uh, and a referendum on that for the French people. Uh, by the end, she was talking about two currencies. So there is a trend in in that direction, certainly, which is which is notable even now. Let, as you say, let's let's see. It's going to be going to be very interesting going forward. And uh, we do uh, have the legislative elections to look forward to. And I'm sure there are going to be lots of twists and turns uh, in the next in the next couple of months. So let us thank our, our wonderful participants for what's been a great podcast, uh, very insightful and very informative, and I'm sure our public will be really interested to listen to this. Uh, we will be having more podcasts coming up. There are lots of exciting things happening across Europe, namely the, uh, the June elections in the United Kingdom, and that will be the topic of our next one. So until then, I wish you the very best, and make sure you listen to the podcast. <laughs>